I have this favourite pastime, um, and I don't tell too many people about it. It comes out of my uh, uh, vivid imagination. I love to sit and imagine how things got invented. Um, and this morning, we're just going to talk a little bit about comfort, as you can see on the screen there. And so as I was preparing this, my imagination started spinning, and so I just thought I'd take on that ride. Uh, now, this is not accurate history. Uh, just need to say that. But I do like to just sit and imagine how things get invented, right? Because there's some weird stories about how things got invented. Let me give you basketball for example. Basketball started with a peach sack and a leather ball. And it took them a while to work out that if you cut a hole in the bottom of the peach sack, you don't have to get the ladder and get the ball out all the time. All right? That's interesting, right? And and so I got thinking about uh, comfort and the way that we operate. We make things to make life comfortable. I got thinking about recliner chairs. How did they get developed? You know, I mean, you go right back and it's like people always probably want to sit down. And then someone said, don't just sit on that hard stick or that rock. Get some of this straw, you know, stick it under you because it'll actually be a bit softer for your backside, you know. And then someone came up with, with foam um, and people were going, this is pretty awesome. And then someone came along and they had a footstool, right? And they said, look, when you're sitting on that soft seat, put your feet on this, it feels really good, right? And... and that, that is really good. And then eventually someone came on and they said, you know what would be really cool? What would be really cool if there was a footstool that was built into the chair and you just pulled the lever and it came up? You with me? Like that would be really, really cool. And someone did it and then someone sat in and they went, this is incredible. Like this is an incredible experience. Um, and then someone else came along and they said something like this. I said, you know what would be really good? Not just have a footstool built in that you can put up by a lever, but the back reclining as well. Right? And then someone went away and they, they made this thing and they're going, this is incredible. Like, what have we done? And then someone came along and they said, what about if you didn't even have to stand up at the end? Like, when you're done, like, no work or anything, the thing just stood you up. That would be cool. And now we've got lazy board recliner chairs. See anyone with me? Here's another one. Here's another one. Climate control air conditioning in your car. Yeah, come on, right? Now, I, I have a 2012 Nissan Patrol, and Nissan Patrol ceased technological advancement around about the turn of the century. Okay? Everything is mechanical in my patrol. People go, oh, I got in my car, it was minus one today. It's like, I don't know, it was just cold to me. Like, I can't see anything in there. Um, they're really, really low tech. In fact, does anyone remember this? I've actually got a mechanical dial that you turn to get warm air. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? There's a few people out there. Um, you know, so here's, here's the thing, right? Uh, I don't have a temperature setting in my car, you know, and at some point in time, someone probably came along and they just kind of went, you know what I reckon I can do? I reckon I can set something up in your car so you can get the exact degree that you want, all right? Um, and, and they made climate control. And we all got, how awesome is this? You can be on 22.5 degrees, which is different to 23, all right? And then, you know what happened? You know what happened? Like there's a husband and a wife or people, friends in there, and they start having an argument, all right? Because they don't want it on 23. One wants it on 23, one wants it on 21. And so this person went, I've got a fix for that. So they go away and we end up with 
dual zone climate control, which I think in some ways, and this is from an old tech patrol driver, is one of the most ridiculous things ever. Because the vents in our CX-5 are about 20 millimetres apart and apparently it's coming out of 23 on one and 21 on the other and the difference that makes is what? <laughs> makes a little bit. Anyway, we like a life that is comfortable and pain-free. But who knows that life doesn't always come to us like that. Pain and discomfort come our way and one of the things that we do is we actively look for ways to resolve that. Now, I think part of that is connected to our uh, God-given dominion that God created us with in the Garden of Eden. We were made to, to bring good about and to, uh, and to rule creation in a way that was helpful and good. That, that is a genuine part of us, uh, part of our makeup. You know, pain and discomfort come from sin um, and they're kind of part of a world in which we're called to rule but Trials and pain and trouble are actually connected to us becoming who God has made us to be. So I'd love it if you could grab your Bibles. We're going to read James chapter 1. James chapter 1. We're going to start at verse 1. James 1, starting at verse 1. If you're sitting with a family unit and you don't have a Bible, just snuggle in close so that you can see, no snuggling for the rest of you. I'm, I'm out there just nailing people for hugging today, just saying, all right? That's a joke. If you don't come to the project normally, I'm, I'm like the non-hugger in the project, so coronavirus has been great. <laughs> James chapter 1, starting at verse 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Now, the, the Greek word for brothers there actually legit could be uh, translated brothers and sisters. New Testament was written in the Greek. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers a grass, its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Our title for today's message is uh, Better Than Comfort. And when it comes to something better in comfort, better than comfort, of, uh, we're going uh, in three directions, three questions today. What is it? How do you get it? And how do you get to it? That's where we're going. What is it? How do you get it? And how do you get to it? Here's the first one. What is it? Have a look at verse 2 to 4. Read the text again with me. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Note the progression here. Count it all joy when you encounter trials. A.K.A. Toyota Jump. Oh, what a feeling. 
It's like someone just ran in my car. Jump in the air. Jump in the air. Is James saying that all trials in and of themselves are good and you should be happy about them? No, he's not. What he's actually saying is you should be pumped about trials because they get you something else. What do they get you? Follow the argument. They, they get you steadfastness, but that's not even the end point of it. They get you something else. But before we go there, let me just stop for a minute and look at verse 2. Have a look at verse 2. What kind of trials is James talking about? Various. <laughs> Anything hard that comes your way. That's what he's talking about. Um, and I think the point here is that James is saying anything hard that comes your way is something that gets you to something better than a comfortable, pain-free life. He's not saying that losing your job or having a miscarriage or breaking bones are good and of themselves. They get you somewhere else. What is it? Trials test your faith. They develop perseverance, but we're still not at the end point yet. Steadfast has its full, steadfastness has its full effect by making you complete and perfect. That's the end point. Now, is, is James say, talking about moral perfection? I don't think he is. You know what I think James is saying? He's saying that you should count it pure joy when you face trials because they get you steadfastness and steadfastness gets you maturity. Maturity. He's talking about maturity. You know what's better than a pain-free, comfortable life? Maturity. It's better. Way better. Now, no one has to tell someone else that it's good to be mature. The truth is you probably don't actually think about it very much. You know why? Because I think it's normal. It's absolutely normal. And the reason why... I would say to you that, that I think that you don't notice it because it's normal, is that when you don't see it, it looks like totally weird. You know, on the news last night, the newsreader made the comment that there were some men that were acting like two-year-olds. You see that? That is a problem. It's like it's easy to pick that. It's like you're a man and you're acting like a two-year-old and you should stop doing that. See, maturity is normal. Immaturity is weird. Imagine this scene. What if you went to Aldi supermarket? I'm not going to ask you to put your hands up. And you're waiting in line to pay for your groceries and the 70-year-old in front of you dropped to their knees, chucked a tantrum, banging on the cabinets because the operator was going too fast with the stuff. Does anyone know what I'm talking about? Come on, you do, right? You go to Aldi, they just go too fast. It's like you don't care. Anyway, there's a 70 you roll down on their knees, they're crying, they're yelling, they're banging into the cabinet. What would you think about that? You would think straight away you'd go, there is something seriously wrong with that man. Why? Because they ought to be able to handle it at their age. It, this is the line, isn't it? Act your age, not you. She size. You know, we don't notice maturity as much as immaturity because maturity is normal. Like a full stomach, it doesn't get noticed as much. But the truth is, not everyone wants to grow up, right? Not everyone wants to grow up. And who knows, we can stop growing up. You know, we can look, perhaps judgmentally, at a, uh, the, the illustration of a 70-year-old 
losing the plot and just going, oh, we wouldn't do that. But maybe we still do a little bit sometimes. You know, we've got phrases like, that person dropped their bundle. Or they had a, a hissy fit. Sometimes people can just stop talking to you. There's, there's different ways that we kind of chuck tantrums. You know, and then we have the excuses that people make up for why they don't need to mature. Let me give you a couple. Here's one. That's just the way I am. That's just the way I am. And you know what that is? That's confusing character with fallenness. That's what that is. You know, it's true that we have different character traits that we all need to learn to live with. And sometimes it's actually other people that have just got too narrow a view and they need to change with regard to the way that they're handling you. But if you've got a character trait that's been messed by sin and you're actually offending and sinning against other people, then that will not do. That will not do. That's immaturity and we want to grow and we want to mature. It just won't do to say that's just the way that I am. Another one that I think people use to uh, um, kind of stop the process of maturity is uh, it's too hard to do something about that now. And I'm really sympathetic to this um, because, you know, there's some things that can be kicking around in your life for decades and you don't even notice that they're there. And then all of a sudden God will show you these things and it's like, yeah, I've been practicing that for 30 years. Excuse me, can someone just grab me a tissue? It's not coronavirus. Sorry about that. I get a runny nose. I should always bring a tissue up. I get a runny nose when I uh, speak. I don't know why that is. I think it's the spirit. <laughs> Thanks, Sue. You know, that's, um, that's understandable, right? It's understandable that uh, someone would just go, that, that's just going to be too hard. I've been doing this for a long time. You know, maybe you would actually say, I have tried to deal with something that's been going on in my life and it's entrenched and I've tried lots and lots of ways and I've tried over and over and I've failed over and over. And one of the questions I would ask, and I don't mean to be too rude and too quick on it, but have you tried everything that God uh, has given you to employ to fight that battle? And then the next step after that is if you said, yeah, I have tried everything that the Lord's given me to fight that battle, the next step uh, would be to just go, well, maybe it's possible that God's given you a weakness that's just going to keep you really humble. That's a thing. That's a thing. You know, God shows me things about myself. Uh, I remember a couple of years ago, God showed me something, a mechanism that had been going on in my life for my whole life. And I'm like 46, right? And it's like two years ago, it's 44. I've been practicing that mechanism for 44 years. Now, it may be that God does something miraculous and he brings some amazing healing in me and matures me, kind of like that, right? But chances are that most of the time, you know what he's going to do? He's going to play the long game. And if it took you 40 years to work it out and you practiced it for 40 years, you can saddle up, right? Because it's probably going to take a little while for him to get it out of your system. That seems to be the way that it works you know there is an amazing grace to see something that you didn't realize was there that was re- that's really counterproductive is anyone with me on that that's grace in itself 
You know, two years ago, it's like when God shows you something, you just go, thank you very much. That's, that's, that's very, very gracious. There's grace when you confess it and have it forgiven, and God gives you the grace to walk out of it. And so, you know what? You could be 70 and God could show you something new, and you could have been practicing it for 70 years, and you know what I'd say? I'd go, that's good. That's really good. It's really good that you've seen it. The Project Church was uh, planted. It was actually planted out of this church, Toowoomba City Church, in 2011. We had our first service on, on the 24th of July in 2011. And uh, in those early days, we were blessed to have a number of older people join us in this new initiative. And one of them was a real father to the church. His name was Ted Hitsky. Uh, over a decade, Ted had um, some of the most intense... Uh, medical conditions. Uh, he ended up with, I think, about a dozen tumours kicking around in his body, cancer tumours, um, and he ended up passing away. But three months before Ted passed away, he was well into retirement, I went and visited Ted. And um, he said to me, you know, Peter, he said, the Lord got me up last night. And uh, you know what he showed me? He showed me that I've still got some brass in my heart. That's a word he used. I've got some brass. And... Um, what was he saying? He was saying there was hard parts in his heart that God still had to deal with. And he, he knew what they were. And, um, and he was so sensitive to that. And that was so impacting to me. I tell that story. But I want to say to you this morning, that's not abnormal. That's normal. <laughs> so if you're like 75, 80, you know what's normal? Is that God would show you something else, that he wants to grow mature in your life. You know, growing up is normal. And you ought to just do it till the day that you die. Ted grew up. Ted kept maturing until the day that he died. Maturity is good. What is it? What do trials get you? What's better than comfort in a pain-free life? Maturity. Here's number two. How do you get it? I won't ask you to put your hand up, but we could do that, right? Who wants to be mature? Who wants to grow up? And so you go, well, if I could do it without the trials, I'd be all in, Pete. (laughs) Go back to verse 2 to 4. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. You get... Maturity from steadfastness, and you get steadfastness from trials. Now, James in this chapter is going to deal with trials that kind of come at you from the outside, and then trials that come at you from the inside, and they are kind of interconnected, so we don't want to be too forensic about the uh, difference between these two. But uh, what he's dealing with here is the trials that come at you from the outside, Um, What kind of external trials is James talking about? Well, various, which means anything that is a trial. But in particular in James, if you look in the book of James, you'll find that the trials that the people he's writing to are experiencing are being poor, being persecuted by rich people, dragging them into court, being exiles, and we could add coronavirus, losing your job. This is various. Losing money. He's rocking it in their superannuation at the moment. Getting sick. Being disconnected from people. 
preaching to a camera for three months. <laughs> That's a troll. Having a miscarriage. Someone close to you dying. Getting injured. Getting a headache. Relational breakdown. Not being able to find a car park at the shops. We could go on. Now, you may think some of these are more of a trial than others, and you may be right. But either way, these things are all trials. And you could add more to it. Now, what you see in James chapter 1, verse 2 and 3 is that trials come to you to test your faith. That's what they are. So here's, here's the bottom line. When a trial comes your way, it's a test. <laughs> it's a test. Your faith is getting tested. And anyone who wants to master anything knows that the way that tests work is you've got to push yourself all the time. So if you want to be really good at sport, you can't just keep doing the same thing all the time. If you go to the gym and you actually want to improve your, uh, your muscle tone and you start off with 10 kilos on the bench press, right, and you never go higher than 10 kilos, you're probably not going to get where you want to go. What do you do? You keep adding more weight to the bar. Why do you add more weight to the bar? Because it's a bigger test for your muscles and your muscles grow and I would even uh, say mature. That's how you do it. That's how anything works. If you want to grow and mature and get better at something, you go for something harder. And most of this testing is actually painful. We, uh, we've been doing these zoo classes at our house and... Uh, just not even going, it's like an exercise class and I feel like I'm going to die most times when I'm doing it, okay? Um, and in the middle of it, when I feel like I'm going to die and it's like I'm not getting enough oxygen in my lungs, someone call the ambulance. If someone came up to me and they said, Peter, it's just so good, isn't that pain great? Isn't it great just feeling like you're going to die? I'd go, no, it's not. And, you know, what's interesting is trainers themselves don't actually say those kinds of things to people who are training. You know what they say? They point you toward the goal. They point you toward the goal and they say it's worth it. Yesterday we did a session. The guy said, I've got to work off the cake that I had for my birthday yesterday. What's that? It's like there's a goal out ahead and we're going toward that goal. It's not that the trial itself is so wonderful. We can, we can be sad and struggle in the midst of a trial. I think that's appropriate and that's right. But at the same time, consider it pure joy because it's doing something that gets us something far more valuable than a comfort, comfortable, pain-free life. Now, this is the way God's made humans to work. You grow up by being tested. All right? Now, some of you go, well, I don't like that way. Well, you, didn't, you don't get the choice. He's made you to grow up by being tested. How do I know it? Because if you go right back to the Garden of Eden, there's some stuff Adam and Eve are not meant to touch. You with me? It's not meant to touch. What's he doing? Testing. He's testing them. That's what he's doing. And they failed the test. You're not meant to fail it, you're meant to pass. That's the point of a test, is that you pass it. But they fail it. They get exiled out of the garden 
Um, God brings his uh, um, people out of Egypt. They're in Egypt. And then what do we have in the wilderness? Test, 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 test. Let me read you a section from Deuteronomy. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you. Listen to this. Testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. That is maturity. That you don't live by bread alone. How's God going to test them? How's God going to teach them that? He's going to test them. How's he going to test them? He's going to let them get hungry. That's what he's going to do. Do you see it? He brings a trial. There's a test in the trial. They're meant to pass the test because God's wanting them to grow in maturity. This is the way that we have been made, folks. A couple of years ago, I got to um, listen to uh, this lady here in person share her story. Let me tell you about this lady. This lady's name is Jill Hicks. She's an Australian. She was a head. She was a very accomplished person in, in her own right. She was head of a design department. She published journals as an architect and so on. On a Thursday morning in July 2005, unbeknownst to her, she boarded the same London tube carriage with a suicide bomber. They stood only feet apart. 26 lives were taken in that carnage alone. She was badly injured. They thought that she would not survive. She was determined to survive. She held on for an hour. She says that she fought the urge to close her eyes. She was the last live person pulled out of that carriage. I remember hearing her speak and uh, I haven't been able to find this online but she said the moment where she said she was so exhausted she had she actually had um, both of her legs blown off um, she said she was so exhausted she couldn't even talk when the rescuer came and the touch of the rescuer was sublime, she said. And the, the feeling of surrendering to someone who was coming to rescue her, she said, was like the most amazing feeling. And I went, huh, that sounds familiar. They labelled her with this ID tag at the hospital, one unknown estimated female her life was saved because she was a human being you can watch her ted talk uh, just type in jill hicks uh, ted and you'll find her ted talk and she stands there in this ted talk on her prosthetic legs do you know what she learned out of this time this is what she learned and i quote I could never imagine a 19-year-old suicide bomber could teach me a valuable lesson. He taught me not to presume anything about anyone you don't know. Do you know what happened to Jill Hicks? She encountered a test, and I would suggest lots of tests, and do you know what happened to her? She got more mature. Isn't that a mature thing? That's a mature thing. Do you see the created anthropology at work? Anthropology is the way that you and I have been designed. We have been designed to be tested and to grow in maturity as we're tested. That's how it's meant to work. You get tested, you pass the test, and you grow up. That's how it works. The same thing happened to Jesus in his humanity. 
You know, you, you look back in the Old Testament, it looks like God almost kind of gives up on testing his people. Why? Because they just fail every time. They just fail. And Jesus comes along. And before he goes into ministry, what happens? He goes into the wilderness and what happens? He gets tested. <laughs> he gets tested. And we see in Hebrews 5, 8 to 9, it says this about Jesus. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. The true human Jesus got tested. He succeeds. That's the Luke thing too, right? Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and faith with God and man. It's normal to pass tests. So here's the question for you before we go on to the last point. Have you let steadfastness in the face of trials have its full effect? A theologian Barclay puts it this way. uh, Did you stand with your feet facing the storm? Or did you tap out? Did you get ang- angry? Did you get anxious? Did you just want to escape? Let me ask this really directly for you. How, how's the last three months been for you? Now, I think Jaden's got this saying that about things where he goes, it's either a duck or a hundred. And that's it's a cricketing metaphor, right? But that I think that's what it's been like probably for most of us. You've either kind of scored a hundred and you've had a great time of it in the last three months or you've probably got a duck. And not a whole lot in between. How'd you go? The last three months, I kid you not, have been a test. Did you pass it? Some of you have. And with flying colours. You've grown, your relationship with God is tight, you're more mature now than what you were. But some of you haven't. You dropped the ball. God's still there, but he's kind of in the ether somewhere (laughs) he's in the ether you've lost it anger depression anxiety have set in and you're stuck your life looks like a thief has broken in and ransacked the place you can put your hand on your heart to me today and say peter i failed the test If you sit here today and you go, I have failed the test when I should have passed, I want to tell you it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Because the nature of tests is that they're hard and they're often complicated. And because God is interested in growing your maturity, the next one's always going to be a little bit harder or a little bit different than the last one. That's how it's going to work. That's what he does. You know, God's gunning for a deeper level of maturity in you than a decade ago, and so he's going to bring along different tests to bring that about. So what is it? How do you get it? <laughs> what is it? It's maturity. That's what we're gunning for. How do you get it? You get it through testing. Here's the last one. How do you get to it? How do you get to it? Here's the last point here. Have a look at verse 5 to 8. Let's just read it again quickly. And if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all 
his ways. Now, this is a verse really generally used by Christians, and I think that's okay because God's a generous giver of wisdom. But notice the context here. What, uh, what is the context in which God's going to give wisdom generously? Trials. Trials. Um, it's wisdom in the midst of trials. And who here knows that you need wisdom when you get in the middle of something really hard? Does anyone, anyone know what I'm talking about? Because there's a whole bunch of questions that come up when you get in the middle of a hard thing. And I want to give you five, for example. Here we go. Here's five questions I reckon come up in the midst of trials. What's my next step in walking through it? That's pretty straightforward. You kind of get in the middle of it. It's like the lights go out and it's like it's really hard. And you just go, okay, well, what, what am I meant to do next? Here's another question that I think we can ask in the middle of trials that has to do with wisdom. Um, when do you do something and when do you wait? Have you ever been in a trial like that? Like, am I supposed to do something here or am I supposed to wait? What am I supposed to do? That's a wisdom. That's a wisdom thing. The third one. This is a big one. Do I stay in it or do I get out when I get the chance? That's a big one. That's a wisdom call. What do I do with my pain in the midst of it? Here's another complex one. When do I confront and when do I offer forgiveness without confrontation? That's a, that's a tricky one too, right? You know, wisdom is skillful living. The reality is that God knows that you're going to get into the next trial and it's going to be harder and you're just not going to have enough wisdom on your own to get through it. You know, trials are like a computer game. Not going to have a show of hands as to who's played computer games, but, you know, in a computer game at the lower levels, do you know the enemies are bigger and slower? And as you go through the levels, they get smaller and faster. That's basically how it works. That's the whole idea with computer games. If, and, and computer game manufacturers know that if you give kind of small, fast enemies on the first level, people are going to give up. They're not even going to play your game because they have to feel like they're having a bit of a win. You know, this is, this is like trials. Trials, as you go through and you mature, the enemies and the trials get smaller and faster and you're going to need more wisdom. Greater maturity requires greater tests, requires greater wisdom. Greater wisdom. But let me give you some good news. Uh, God will never let a test come your way that's going to break you. What's another way of saying it? He'll never let a test come your way that is not passable. 1 Corinthians 10.13 no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. Do you hear that? But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. I want you to hear me today. No test is ever too big for you when God helps you. Do you hear that? No test is ever too big for you. So, why do we fail tests? Well, I reckon there's two options. We gave up. We didn't access the help that God had on offer for us. And I think 
you could probably go with a few combinations. Let me give you a couple, com- a few combinations of that. You could try really hard on, to do it on your own and end up giving up. You could access the help from God and go passive expecting him to do it all and you would fail. Or you could do both. <laughs> you could give up and not access the grace that God has for you. What's James saying? James is saying that God gives wisdom and he gives help generously. You know, one interpretation of this, um, this verse here, um, God gives generously to all without reproach. You know, one theologian I read, he interpreted it this way, God gives generously to all without mockery or scolding. This is like the classroom thing, right? Were you one of those kids in school where it's like, I don't want to put my hand up because I don't want to actually publicly say that I don't know something? Maybe you were, maybe you weren't. Maybe you didn't put your hand up much at all during your schooling. I don't want other people to think that I'm small and pathetic. So what happens a lot of the time is people don't put their hand up, students don't put their hands up in class and they don't get the help that they need. And you know, James wants you to know that God will never think that you are small and pathetic because you don't have enough wisdom. Do you hear that? Ever. He is a generous giver of all of the help that you need to pass the test that's in front of you. He doesn't laugh at your lack of wisdom. (laughs) He doesn't put you down for being a doofus. Yeah, come on. But there's a catch, and James talks about this catch. Um, Something can stop you from getting wisdom. And the question I asked when I was uh, working on this is, where's the problem? Is it a problem with the giver or the receiver? Well, we know from James that there isn't a problem with the giver. The giver of wisdom is generous. The problem is with the gift receiver. And James says here specifically what we need is uh, we need faith and not to doubt. Now, now I could preach a bunch of sermons on this. What, what is this saying? Is, is this verse saying that if you have the slightest hesitation or question mark about whether God's going to come through that you miss out? Is any small impurity in faith going to cause you to miss out on help? Now, as I say this, hopefully you're sitting there and you're going, well, that doesn't really fit very well with the passage. If that's actually what he's saying, how does that even fit? And let me throw some other things in for you. Because if we look in the Bible, God's quite kind to people who doubt. Um, at the ascension of Jesus after his resurrection, listen to this, Matthew 28, 16 to 17. Now, the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. <laughs> some doubted. Now, that's, that's it. It's like, who were those guys? Were they just random? So they just dragged along? It's like, no, just the 11 disciples. That's all. Um, no, no heavy hitters in there. You know, we've got the story of the, um, the father with the son who, who cries out to Jesus. He says, uh, if, you can, if you can do anything for my son. And Jesus says, if, you, if I can... And then the father ends up crying out, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. You see, I don't, I don't think this is the kind of doubt that James is actually talking about. 
Um, and, and the reason why is because it's actually the same Greek word that Paul uses in Romans chapter 4, verse 20, about Abraham, all right? Now, you remember Abraham, that God promised an heir to Abraham. Let me read you Romans 4, verse 20. And if you know the story about Abraham, you'll notice there's a problem here. No unbelief made him waver. That's the same Greek word behind that word as we've got in James chapter 1. Waver concerning the promise of, of God. Now, if you know the story about Abraham well, you know that when God promised that he would have a son, he laughed at God. Remember that? Well, that sure sounds like doubting to me. <laughs> you know, I think what James is talking about, and I think what um, Paul's talking about in Romans chapter 4, verse 20, is not that you might have a question mark or a kind of a skerrick of doubt, but it's that you have a lifelong trajectory of allegiance and loyalty to God. You know, this uh, Greek word in uh, James chapter 1 is about being double-souled. It's kind of about being in and out at the same time. So if you've got a heart for God and you have a couple of questions along the way and you're not sure how things are going to work out but you're going to trust him anyway, I don't think that's the kind of doubting that James is actually talking about in James chapter 1. But I want to throw one more thing in just as... uh, as we close out this final point here, I want to suggest something, and uh, this is a bit of a caveat here. I actually haven't read this in any commentaries from anyone. Now, it may exist out there, and it also just could be completely false. No, I'm kidding. It's all right. But I've thought about this. I've thought about this this week. Because, you know, there's, uh, if you look at that verse in James chapter 1, verse 7, it says, The doubting person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. Now, think about it for a moment. One of the reasons that you could not receive something from someone is because they don't give it. But there's another reason why you might not receive something from someone, and that's because you're not in a position to receive it. So it's on offer, but you don't actually get it. Let me give you an example. Have you ever been in a wedding or a function, and someone is going around handing stuff out? And for me, it was always like the chocolates, right? It's like, I want to, I've got a sweet tooth, right? So if someone's handing chocolates out, it's like, yeah, I'd like to get some of those chocolates, right? And so someone's going around, they might have a basket with them. This is going to happen at the end of the service today with Tim Tams, right? But um, someone's, someone's got a basket and they've got chocolates in it. It's like, this is going to be really good. And then you realize, oh, I need to go to the bathroom. Or someone comes and taps you on the shoulder and you go and you have a conversation. And then you come back and they're gone. And you didn't get your chocolate. You know what I'm talking about, right? Have you had that happen? It's like, I missed out on my chocolate. Now, now what is the problem there? The problem there is not that the giver wasn't giving. The problem there is that the receiver wasn't in a position to receive. And I think that doubt does this. It kind of puts you in two minds. It puts you in a position where it's, it's... and, and this is no offence to anyone who has this condition, but it makes you a little kind of ADD. It's like you go, yeah, I'll have a bit of that, but then you go, no, I don't. Yeah, I'll have a bit, but no, I don't. It's like you're always kind of having a moment where you're grasping at it, but never really having a moment where you're savouring it. Never lingering long enough to savour and digest. Always having a nibble, but never being nourished by it. Turning towards 
than turning away. And I think this is described really vividly by James. It's like the waves of the sea. Not the waves on the shore, the waves of the sea that are just being pushed and they just go one way and then the other. I I would want to say to you today, and I think James would too, that God offers help consistently without second thoughts. We receive it inconsistently. I wonder if the music team would like to come up. If you, um, if you read the Gospels, there's, uh, there's one particular test uh, that probably stands out above them all. Uh, and it's, it's Peter that gets tested, right? Um, Jesus says to Peter in Luke 22 verse um, 31, he says, you're going you're to get tested. You're going to get tested. And uh, Jesus actually goes on, rather uncomfortably I might add, and says, and you're going to fail the test. You're going to fail it. But in the midst of this whole piece here, you know what Jesus says to Peter? He says not just that you're going to be tested, and not even that, not even just that you're going to fail the test. He says one more thing. He says, I have prayed for you that your faith would not fail. Jesus backed him. And do you know what we do you know what we know from the life of Peter is that he indeed did fail the test. But do you know something about Peter? His faith did not fail, did it? Even when he failed the test. And Jesus is um prediction that um, or encouragement to him that he would turn and strengthen his brothers after his failure is indeed what Peter did now we get to John chapter 21 and Jesus has cooked up breakfast on the beach and uh, Peter comes in from uh, being out in the boat and Jesus says to Peter do you love me do you love me do you love me And each time Peter says, yes, Lord, you know that I do. I do love you. And three times Jesus says to him, feed my lambs. Tend my sheep. Feed my sheep. And this Peter goes on and he writes a whole book of 1 Peter about standing firm in the midst of persecution. Isn't that amazing? (laughs) It's amazing. And eventually, they say around 64 AD, Peter gets tested again. And this time, he passes the test. The church history tells us he wasn't willing to be uh, put to death, to be crucified in the same manner as his uh, saviour. He, uh, he said, kill me upside down. Smashed it out of the park, didn't he? Why? 
because Jesus was backing him. He was backing him. Jesus knows the tests which have come for you. He knows all of them. And he knows the ones which are still coming. And I don't want this to be negative, but there's more coming. There's more coming. There's more coming tomorrow. And you don't need to fear that because it's a good thing. Because it's going to help you to grow up. And on top of the fact that there's tests coming tomorrow, because the fear thing for us is, oh, there's another one. How am I going to handle that? It's like, well, you just need to know that Jesus has made provision for all of the help that you need for what's going to come tomorrow. So you just don't have to get there yet. You don't have to get there. You can just hang, just enjoy today, have a nice coffee later, right? Sit in a nice cushy chair that's got foam in it, not straw. Jesus' provision for the tests that are going to come for you are sufficient for you to pass every single one. Do you hear me? Every single one. And he's aware that you're going to fail some. He's well aware of that and he's made provision for that also. What does he do right now? He intercedes for you. He prays for you. 